This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. From New York City, it's the Todd Berry Podcast. The Todd Berry Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Pete Holmes is on the show today. Pretty lively discussion. Pretty lively. We got into it a little bit. It was uh, it was good. It's good. It was tense. It wasn't tense. It was intense. That's the word I was looking for. It was intense. Speaking of intense, I have some intense live shows coming up. November 5th, Monty Hall in New Jersey, uh, Jersey City. Shouldn't announce that one because that's sold out. But that's probably even more reason to announce it. Puts it out there that I sell out shows. That's nice, right? November 6th and 7th, I'll be at the Boston Comedy Festival doing crowd work shows. Some tickets still available for that. November 8th, I'll be at Fun 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 Fest in Austin. And December 10th, I'll be at Levity Live, my first time there, in West Nyack, New York. Follow me on Twitter at ToddBerry, ToddBerry.com. Check out my crowd work special on Netflix, The Crowd Work Tour. Write a review of it if you like it, or you don't have to write a review. I don't like asking people to do that. But I must like it a little bit because I just did it. And uh, what else is there? I think that's it. Feral Audio brings you this podcast. So check them out, feralaudio.com. And they bring you a lot of other podcasts. So check that out. And uh, here is Pete Holmes. Oh, I just, I was trying to record you capture that laugh. Like, so it would have been a good opening. We can open with a laugh. Which is, I just did a thing, a shoot where they were like, give us one of your laughs. It oh, ma- just fake it, one? It really makes me feel like, kind of like a prostitute. I don't mind, but I'm like, oh boy, this feels bad. You, <laughs> Hey, that laugh you do, can you just force it? <laughs> it's so easy to make me laugh. Just say something. I know. Just, I know. If you said diarrhea, like yeah. I would laugh. Who was this person who didn't know enough to say diarrhea? <laughs> That's an old industry trick. Yeah, man. Say diarrhea if you want the talent to laugh. If you want the talent or a six-year-old to laugh. Well, we were talking about that just last night, or two nights ago with Mulaney. We were talking about the aristocrats joke. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't think you could do it if you didn't. Like, because you're supposed to be shocking. Right. I don't think you could do it, which is gross. Like, I watched that movie, and it's like Bob Saget being like, and he's drinking the pus, and somebody comes on her head, and I'm like, it's not enough. Yeah, no one's faced by that. No one's faced. Buy it. Twelve-year-olds are watching pornography. You know what I mean. Younger. But I feel like I don't know. I feel I'm surprised. I feel like if that movie came out now, there would be eighteen blogs about it saying how <laughs> oh offensive it is. Yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, that's an interesting point. And it, and it, we're saying at the same time it's not offensive, but then also people would find it more offensive. But also, I mean, it's fun to be offensive sometimes. 
But that I see. That's exactly <laughs> my point. I would like to do the aristocrats yeah. joke, but the problem is it would be truly offensive because right. you have to be misogynistic or racist or yeah. really wrong. Like you have to talk about like child murder or something if you want to do it. Well, uh, we're not going to be doing that on my podcast. Whoa, I got to disassociate. I got to distance myself. Whoa. Don't throw me under the bus. Whoa, I I'm sorry, saying, everyone. I was saying a taboo topic. I know. That. <laughs> Whoa, oh, I'll, I'll do a big disclaimer at the beginning. Hey, I didn't know. Well, you know, maybe I should have gone over with what we were going to talk about. But man, I'm sorry, people. I don't like to censor people, so it's I'm leaving it in. But, I, but man, I don't like offending people. I'm one of those people. I think like a friend of mine was opening for. Uh, some clean comedian, uh -huh. and he did his regular act, and the club was upset. And I, I can understand that a comedian would be like, fuck the club, I, I do my shit, I, this is what I do. But I'm one of those guys that I'm like, no, if the audience is all old ladies, do your old lady set. Yeah, I mean, how often does that happen? It almost never happened. <laughs> it happened to me recently. I opened for Ray Romano doing a, a, a benefit. Uh -huh. And I looked out, and it, was, it just looked like, everyone looked like my mother, and dressed up my mother, like jazzy jackets. You yeah. Know? I was like, I had to. That's what the value of all the jokes you write in your first five years is. You, know that you wrote old lady jokes. I did. I started really being like oh, ice packs. See, I wrote. I started out edgier, and now I'm really now I'm old lady jokes. No, I don't. <laughs> now you're old lady crowd work. But yeah, I mean, you, there's nothing wrong with adapting. Like if that's what you're feeling, but I also feel like. How cool would it be if you got those old ladies to laugh at something you didn't think they were going to laugh at? Yeah, no, I hear because I've seen that. I went to see. Um, I think it was. It was like it was a bunch of comics in Atlantic City. I went to visit uh, Natasha Leggero and Kyle Kinane was there, mm. and they were all doing well in front of these like you know classic blue-haired kind of. Yes. Yeah. No. You don't. It, it's a real thrill actually when a old woman comes up to me and I didn't know they were there and they loved it. That's different. If they outnumber everybody, they they join. They become a collective. They form a collective yeah. that becomes offended more easily. It's like I, doing a corporate. Do you do a lot of those? No, I did one recently, and it was. And it was you know, I want to get more of those, but I I get like one every three years. Some like cool corporate, like that's some edgy website or something will hire me. I'm like one every three years. It's but not man, up. that's uh, if you could do one a month, oh my god. Well, then you're Brian Regan. Yeah, I'm trying to think who does. A, I don't even know if he does a lot of corporates, but he did. I bet he. he I bet he does. He I mean, said on my podcast though, he was like he doesn't do well or as well. As, I think I'd as heard as he doesn't life. like corporates, which because the group, the smart CFOs and CEOs and all that stuff, don't want to admit weakness, and all of his comedy is like I drank the bubbles, right, right. I drank them down, and now I got the burps, and they're all just like. I know how to moderate my intake. You know right. what I mean? They want to seem Well, together. the worst is when the uh, the vice president of the company goes up and kills because yeah. everyone's scared of, their, of losing their job. Yeah. And then they just kind of uh, – yeah, I've done some real that have really almost gotten ugly. Yeah. Where you just – you see them. Like you can just see them. Yeah. Like, this guy. We even can blue with this guy. Yeah. But, I've only, I, I did one for Disney that was okay. Really? Because I had this angle of being like – Guys, it's Disney. This has to be great. Like, like laugh yeah, and yeah. be silly. Like, we're in Disney. Like, this is the best night of our lives or something. But then I did one recently just in a hotel and yeah. the lights were on. And people just kind of were looking at me, as I would too, like, oh, poor guy. Because like, anytime I was a little bit dirty, they loved it. But they told me to be PG. So if I said ass or diarrhea, literally, uh -huh. if I said diarrhea, they'd go nuts. It was like play I went to a Christian college. It's exactly like the scene I grew up in. They never, uh, they never, that's always, I feel like the, the clean thing at a corporate show is always just, it's for one person. That's right. 
And that spouse. person doesn't care either. Right. That person's like, I wish I'd talk about his package. I remember I did one a long time ago, and the, and the woman came in. She's like, G-rated, G-rated. It's like, they're fucking, everyone's yeah. an adult out yeah, there. I, I mean, know. I'm not that dirty to begin with, but if I say shit, I do know. they go to? They don't go to movies. I. It sucks that Cosby is is uh, rightly a pariah, but like I do go to him his work because I'm like, can I be Cosby clean? He throws out an asshole from time to yeah. time. He throws out <laughs> bullshit. Like, bullshit is even softer than shit. I don't mean texture. Yeah, I mean it's still weird that on TV people go, and then the guy said B, and I can't say the rest of this. Yeah, I know. It's like. He, he could go. I know. It's crazy. Like, I don't know who it's for. But that's going away, too. That has to go away. I mean, I, I'm not, like, predicting any future that we don't all see coming, but, like, everything's just going to be uncensored. <laughs> you think so? But I feel like even cable networks that don't have to censor themselves, I don't think, censor themselves. What do you mean? Like, there's certain networks where you can do a comedy special, and they it's not like they're going to, if you just say, fuck shit, cunt, yeah. they might go, yeah, no, no. I, what, like HBO or shows? No, I don't think HBO, but I think maybe. I mean, it's not like Net, you, you mean like a Netflix. Oh, no, Netflix though, doesn't care. I you don't think. think? Okay. No, I would say they're the most uh, open to anything. They wanted to be called Netflix. <laughs> they want to be <laughs> Netcunts. <laughs> Cuntflicks. <laughs> wow, this is the dirtiest I've ever been on my show, man. I wanted to do a tweet with the word cunt in it, but I didn't want to do it. It was, you can call me anything, just don't call me late for dinner. All right, cunt. <laughs> like, I thought that was oh, that's funny. funny. But I didn't want to... Were you afraid? I am afraid. I don't mind saying it because you can hear my voice and you can hear that I'm like... And also there's nothing... They're calling you a cunt. And it's... Yeah, there's well, times I've torn it... Oh, I thought they... Oh, for, in my world, I'd put uh, their part in quotes. You can call me anything, just don't call me late for dinners in quotes. And then I'd write, all right, cunt. As if it's yeah, me Yeah, I don't... I don't... See, I didn't even interpret that as you saying that. And I think that, yeah, I think you should tweet that one out. <laughs> like, who's, I feel like those things are like, anyone's going to be offended by that. You don't want as if. You know, it's funny. Like, you're that, not saying something second. You're just using the word cunt, which in UK terms is just like a dope. Right, I know. And we I live could, in the UK. I could uh, location stamp it. <laughs> yes, if I, I'm in London, yeah. I could tweet it. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Limerick, Ireland right now. I always get a little bit concerned or afraid when somebody like that guy got SNL and then everybody goes through his old tweets like scouring for yeah. anything mildly offensive. And I, I'll say this. Everything that I'm always – I am offended. I'm always offended by how unfunny it is. It'll always be like, I see a Mexican guy. Yeah. Hide your wallet. Yeah. And I'm like – that's your bit? Yeah, quite often it's more like, I think, who was it, Seinfeld? Was that I'm offended as a comedian, I'm offended. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, there are, it's quite often when there's a scandal, you just kind of go, well, those just aren't great jokes. Right. I mean, I don't think the guy hates people. Or, right. I mean, I understand why someone might get upset, but. Yeah, I, I've, I've had instances of famous meltdowns, and I'm like, really, the most uncomfortable for, thing for me as a comedian is knowing how badly he's doing and like how desperate. Wait, let's talk about these meltdowns. You've had a meltdown? No, 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 I don't have them. I'm saying seeing other people's meltdowns. Oh. Even if it's not like newsworthy, I'm still kind of like, the most uncomfortable thing isn't him telling her to suck a dick or whatever. It's me going like, he's sweating and he's so afraid. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You, think, you think he's in a power position because he's under lights. And he is, and you know, you should watch it. Has anyone had a meltdown at Meltdown? T.J. Miller uh, did uh, <laughs> Meltdown and thought it would be funny to have a Meltdown. Oh, really? And then I say, thought I had created that I know, non-obvious joke. No, no, no. It isn't obvious. It is very TJ, obvious. And he was going to say, I just had a Meltdown at Meltdown, but he forgot to say that. So everyone just thought he had a Meltdown. Oh, man. But that's his thing. 
I'm sure he, he prefers it that he's way. Like, he's like, yeah, they thought I had a meltdown. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> and he just hoverboards away. Why? Uh, so you're in New York. I kind of know. Why don't you yeah. tell? Can you tell people why? Yeah, you're sure. All right. I'm in New York because uh, I'll tell you. I was just talking to my girlfriend, who you met. You have uh, a girlfriend? Who, didn't you meet her? I met. No, maybe you didn't meet her. Maybe. I met a woman the other night. No, those women were were they went ooh busted. <laughs> you had interaction with another woman, busted. Who's your I, girlfriend? My girlfriend's name is Valerie. She's a uh, non comedian, a wonderful woman. What does she do? She works for a charity. I, I'm always happy to plug her charity. It's called Real Girl. It does self esteem programming for children between nine and twelve, which is the ages where girls' self esteem plummets. Really? So if you have a child that's between nine and twelve. Real girl, not real doll, real girl. Do people get like fake IDs? She's only eight and a half. <laughs> change your birth. She's not feeling good about it. She's eight and a half. I'm sorry. It's yeah. Nine they, to 12. They leave you in a room with paste, and if you eat it, you're too young for the program. <laughs> so you're with your girlfriend. I forgot what the question is. The question is I have a real problem. I was just saying this to her last night. Comedians have a built in time for bragging, it's when we're brought up on stage. Yeah, you know, this next guy you may have seen him on Louie, his special and this and this and this and his crowd work album and oh, get him yeah. up here. Oh, you're talking about me, okay? And everyone applauds, and right. you get to stand on stage. I'm not saying we don't gloat, but you get that. You tick that box, you go on stage, and everyone applauds, and then you do your act, right? And then you leave, and they applaud. But someone else ticks that box. It's exactly. Not, it's not like you go up there. But I mean, I've probably done it, but <laughs> no, I well. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't said my own credits, <laughs> but it it still scratches that itch a little bit, and uh, I'm comfortable with that. So if somebody was like, "This guy is in in New York filming a pilot with Judd Apatow for HBO," as my intro, that would be fine. I wouldn't ask for that, but that would be okay. But also, bad. No, I mean it's uh, it's what you're doing. It's not like you're. I know you're not walking up to like a someone who's. Panhandling and go, hey, I'm a town. <laughs> they, gave, they gave me a travel allowance. It's pretty good. It's well, like you're, it's what you're doing. You I'll turn out to talk about the what situation. You do. I just shot this thing two days ago. It was a little. Uh, it doesn't matter. And the, it was the person that was like, give us a laugh and didn't say diarrhea. Oh yeah. And I'm with two other actors, and and this was just something I was doing as like a favor to a friend of mine. And I knew the other actors were probably like people who auditioned. You know, uh-huh. like it was a real shoot, and yeah. I was just kind of floating in and improvising. And they asked me why I was in New York, and I really do freeze up. I have a really hard time telling another actor, like, I'll say I'm here shooting a pilot, and but I won't be like, I don't want to be. Isn't that the right move? I don't want to be like, oh, I'm really excited. It's well, I don't think you have to true. give them details. You can just go, I'm working on a TV project, and let them let it unfold. But even when they ask, well, Valerie, then you can then Valerie notices that I really freeze up. Like I'm really comfortable talking about most things, except when it comes to but this. The- Outside of a podcast, I'm more comfortable here. In real life, if somebody's like, "What's your show about?" I'm like, "Ah, you know, I, I like I don't I don't know how to answer quickly." If you ask me, I could tell you very quickly. Uh, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> you basically bragged by pretending you weren't bragging. It's a classic humble brag, which is <laughs> was the longest humble brag I've ever heard in my life. I just feel bad about telling people I'm, <laughs> I'm in town doing a show at Chad Appleton. Man, it's classic. Textbook. Uh, I don't think it was textbook. But I think that <laughs> that's an interesting topic. Because no, sometimes I, just, I feel like I bring up things that are like show-offy. But I also like, you don't want to be like, complain. you know, people tweet about residuals being small or something. Right. It's like, well, you know what? 
That's gross. The guy who works at UPS is not getting a check for a package he delivered 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't open his book. Oh, look at that. I got $16. Still paying out. Yeah. I just, I guess, I don't know why I freeze up when people ask me about it in real life. It just feels strange or, I don't know, superstitious maybe. But the truth, the, the truth is very exciting. Here with Judd. Uh, it's, it's actually, I think it's a good story. I had this idea for a show while I was still doing the talk show. The talk show got canceled, uh, but then it aired for like four more months. Oh, really? Yeah, because we were backlogged. Oh, man. So they didn't cancel it, like pull it off the air, but they were like, we're not doing any more. Yeah. So instead of like, I think it's always funny, like in a movie, I would like grab a bottle of vodka or like go to a bar and be sad. But instead, me and my friend Oren just kind of like hit the ground like the next day and we went to Comedy Central and we were going to pitch them like a sketch show. And uh, it turned out they didn't want a sketch show. And, and then we left and I was in my car and I was just kind of like, I, I kind of had one of those. Uh, Epiphanies? It's, I guess it's in the ballpark of an epiphany. <laughs> where you, I love it. That's a good. It's oh. more of a breakthrough where you're like, what is it that you really want to do? That's a good title for a special. What's that? In, in the, the ballpark ball of, of an epiphany. epiphany? <laughs> Ooh. That's, a good one that's for yours. You. Uh, you can no, have that's it. a good one for you. Well, you I feel st- like that has a, a nice understated. A real, real pretentious play. <laughs> Someone's going to steal it. Go ahead. You can have it. Uh, but I was in the car and I, I just had one of those breakthroughs, a personal breakthrough. Where I was like, what is it that you really want to do? What is the story you'd like to tell? What is the life that you'd really like? Uh-huh. Um, the schedule that you'd really like? All that sort of stuff. But mostly, what is the story that you'd like to tell? And I was like, well, it's the story that I've been telling on my own podcast, which is about growing up religious and getting divorced, at a, married at a very young age, divorced at a young age, and then uh, coming to the city and kind of falling into comedy to rescue you. And uh, I was like, okay, that's it. I, I thought of the, the device, which is that I, I just got divorced, and every episode I'm, I'm staying with a different comedian because I don't have anywhere to live. So there could be like the Todd Berry episode, you see? Yeah, I feel like I've talked to you about this, and that doesn't seem to be on the... Uh... <laughs> On the boards. What is it, the docket? Yeah, the docket or the boards is fine. <laughs> I feel like you haven't uh, greenlit that episode. <laughs> I, did, I seriously doubt that. It's it like would season, be great. That's season eight. <laughs> Didn't you tell me that the other day? No, you would be perfect. See, here I am in your apartment. I know. If you don't mind me saying. It's very interesting to see how someone... You, you've, I've always looked up to you to see how you're living. As you should. Where... <laughs> As you should. Where you're living and how you're living, and you do have a lovely home. And it's interesting. What would it be like if I was on that couch? What is your schedule like? What is the advice you would give me? Because I'm a very naive character, and what would you teach me about life and about... So you had this idea, and then... I had this idea. I think that was like a maybe a Thursday or something. Uh-huh. And then I... Well, I think it was a Tuesday, because then on Thursday, I flew to New York, where Judd was, to pitch it to him. Because I came up with the idea, and I was like, this is a great idea. I really felt like any idea that you can explain quickly but also has some truth to it. Right. Meaning I wouldn't just be like making it up. I'd be Yeah. The first person I called when my wife left me was Nick Kroll. The first person I stayed with was Craig Baldo, Matt McCarthy and Mulaney and all these guys. So I was like, Oh, I could write this show. It's really in my heart. So it was a Tuesday and then like on that Thursday I flew, I asked where Judd was. Judd had done my podcast. He had done my talk show. I was on your podcast with Judd in Austin. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That was a great one. That was a really good one. So I knew him a little bit from that, and we got to shoot a sketch for my talk show, and that was even better because we got to like riff and act together. 
So then he was open to me coming in and talking to him for like 15 minutes, I think was the window, uh, while they were shooting Trainwreck here in New York. So I flew in uh, on like that Wednesday, got up early on Thursday, went to the set at like 7.30 or something, waited for him, met Josh Church, his, his wonderful kind of co-worker. Oh, I think I met that guy the other night. Yeah, Josh is always kind of okay. around. They're they're very close, and uh, and then I pitched him the idea, and it kind of started going from there. So the talk show was already on, but here we are, about a year and a half, almost two years later. Like everything, it takes a long time, yeah. even if you fast track something. Like so that. what did he when you said this idea to him? Was he like, "Yes, let's do this"? No, or? you know, if you were doing that's a good question. If you were doing the TV version, I think he'd be like, "Deal," you yeah. know. What I mean? He he's a very cool guy and meaning like cool, calm, and he didn't get like Ooh, he was yeah, just yeah. like, yeah, I think that there's something there, and we kind of laughed about different things you could do with it, and then he said you should go home and write like a purge document, write everything you remember about that time in your life, humiliating, embarrassing, everything you can remember about your wife leaving you uh-huh. and what it was like coming into the city, and then send that to me. And he was like, it should be like 10 pages. And then it was in train wreck the next day. <laughs> <laughs> it was an eight, eight different... Thanks, man. We were looking for those. It seemed like it coincidentally, we were looking for it. Uh, if they had put this in train wreck, it would have ruined it. It was all like... And Depressing I, stuff? Pretty, pretty, like if I was getting to something sad or hard to admit, I knew I was in the right kind of ballpark. So this is going to be a bittersweet show. I think so. Although we we really want it to be funny. Like we yeah. want it to be really hard. Well, funny. definitely don't use me in it. Then. <laughs> I'm only the funniest guy in New York. I would love to hear I what know. you would. I know. I, but I mean, like, not, honestly. If you I get would, to me, you get to me. <laughs> it doesn't even exist yet, Todd. It's a pilot. <laughs> and we're already. All my friends are in this. it. So what were we going to say? I interrupted you. Um. I would love to hear what what someone like you would say about love, like somebody who's young, you know. Yeah, I am young and heart <laughs> heartbroken. Uh, what somebody like you would say, like, because that that was a big part of it. Like, I'd go out with like Joe DeRosa, and I just couldn't wrap my mind around the idea of someone dating more than one person. You have a bit about that. Do I? It's complicated. Oh, that's an oldie. Yeah, that's, I know, that's, but that's that's down. That's uh. I'm sure. That's not even in the archives. That's gone. <laughs> You never recorded it on something? I don't know if I did. I always felt like that bit was a little obvious. Oh, really? I liked it. But uh, well, it stuck with me. Even my obvious bits are better than 99%. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Well, hey, <laughs> man. Uh, but the idea of, uh, I forget what it Oh, so t- Joe dated more than one person at a time. And I just couldn't. That was the furthest thing from my understanding. The idea yeah. that someone you date could be out somewhere right now having sex right now with right. someone else. And he was just like, you don't think about it, man. You just put it out of your mind. And I was just like, I was a very possessive and jealous yeah. person. Uh, but you also don't have to be uh, someone who dates for women no, at the same time. But that's the interesting thing is you meet different people. Like you might expect to get the go whore it up mm-hmm. advice from this guy, but he's the guy that's like. because he doesn't want you. He doesn't want the competition. <laughs> it's like, no, you should just be alone for a long time. Like, don't talk to that woman behind you who I'm about to talk to. So many funny people had – like, people were like, you need to – Some the guy that fucked my wife was married, and people were like, you got to fuck his wife. Like, go on MySpace. Like, people would tell me that. Like, we live with lunatics. Like, so your wife, crazy. Um, your wife, she cheated on you? Yeah, she cheated on oh, me. Oh, that's, uh, that's the worst. Yeah, and it, it, was, it was rough. But, like, something I'm trying to be very careful about in the show is – Seeing her side of it, uh huh. Because I'm not just trying to be a good, but it's, it's been like eight, nine years now. So give I her a producer credit on it. 
<laughs> without asking her. Just, she just sees her name in the credits. She and sees gets her a name. Check. And, yeah, there's a check for eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> well, okay. I guess I'm not gonna call him and complain about it. I think you could easily make a show about my wife's perspective, and you would empathize with her. She wasn't just like horny. This is a big point in the show: is that she wasn't getting something. She, we got married when we were <clears throat> twenty-two. Yeah, that's crazy. It is. That's super it's, young. It's the first person I had ever dated, really, and yeah. been with, and then we got married because we were religious. So if she falls in love with someone she works with, I don't have to be that much of a mensch to understand. You know what I mean? Given eight years to to uh, process it. So I'm very careful when I write her in the show to make her likable and relatable instead of... It's not a revenge piece. Instead of how you actually feel about her. <laughs> I actually really... I really understand because... Now, in my time since being divorced, I've had to do the thing where you break up with the person that you do love and care about, but they just don't do it for you. And right. I think that's – breakups on TV are always like, you killed my father or something, yeah. like something really concrete. And breakups are so much more ethereal and mysterious where you have to be like, no, you're great and I'm having an okay time. I just think there's something better and that's, that's the worst kind of breakup now that I've depressed everybody. Wow, the people are like <laughs> – Right as you said that, my screensaver came on. Even your computer was <laughs> like, computer is like, that's I hilarious. That, I mean, I like can't. within ten seconds, I can't. Sec I can't. Uh, tenth yeah. of a second, yeah. it went to that <laughs> that screensaver that I didn't even know I had set After up. After I said, like, it's very important to me that the show is funny. But you know, this scene is in, like just hanging out when I saw you in the village and walking around, and people talk about L.A. being the status obsessed place where yeah. people are like, where do I stand, and who's calling me, and what parties am I invited to? But I come to New York, and that's where I want to tuck my tail in my legs, and I'm afraid. You got the cellar with the back table, and like, yeah. who's there, and are you invited, and whose seat? Literally, whose seat are you sitting in? Was was Louis sitting there? Is Seinfeld here tonight? You, you know are in Louis' seat that night. <laughs> A lot of people were like, Louis just, he didn't know, he didn't know. Uh, but do you think the scene, because you were there, so it's 2007, which I'm kind of, it's yeah. 2015 in the show. But when I was here in 2007, just starting, I felt like the scene was harsher. What do you think of that? Harsher? Yeah. You had, like, I always talk about Todd Lynn was out there, like, really breaking balls and being mean. And, and like, I just, Bill Burr, I remember being kind of, like, mean. I would say that to his face. He was just kind of, Yeah, like, the, the, I mean. He yeah. was also very nice, but yeah. he'd also break there balls. There was a, <laughs> I feel like the ball breaking, like, some people think that the table at the cellar is... I don't know they think it's like people just ripping into each other, like and there's was. a little of that. I mean, there's like, but I mean, some of it it's like you know I'll sit there and insult Keith Robinson, but we're we're cracking up the whole time. We're right? Not, we're not getting like, holy shit, that was really. <laughs> Dude, it's like you crossed the line with that. Like Bobby Kelly's bit about the one guy that doesn't know how to break balls, and he goes, "I heard your mom's sick." <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I, even Bobby Kelly, like these Burr and Bobby and all these guys are friends of mine now. And they weren't being mean, but it was intimidating. I mean, you also started at the Boston Comedy Club, which was could be a, a rough room. It was the I, I think it was the roughest. I thought room. that was the best. I felt like that's one of those best of times, worst of times rooms. You'd either like just I could destroy yeah. there, or go home and go. I'm never setting foot. Yep. In that neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I the Boston Comedy Club now closed was the club around the corner from the cellar. Where I was every night for six months, and it was and it was really, really brutal at times. They had three. I remember doing a Valentine's Day show for like seven. Well, it had to be a, an even number. It was probably like eight people, so four couples. Just that front booth. Uh huh. They had all paid like fifty dollars for like a special show, 
I'm up there. I'm like literally apologizing in my act. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Well, that makes the show special. Yeah. Then Chappelle showed up. Oh. So was, was he off. famous at the time? He was as famous as, well, I feel like. He was very, he was Potentially famous. even more because really? the Chappelle show was on. Okay. Now, I mean, he's a legend, but when you were just watching right, him, there's right. a different type of electricity. Oh, that's cool to redeem it. I ran. I was in Times Square maybe five years ago, and this was ten years ago when this happened. Someone stopped me, and they were like, "Hey, I was at the Valentine's Day show. Oh, really? At the Boston Comedy Club. It was great. That's cool. I still remembered it. So that's that's your best of times, worst of times in one night. Like it was shit, and then Chappelle would drop in. Yeah, I always wonder when. Um, like I did a. I mean, the other night at the cellar, it was like. I think it was Louis, Amy, Louis C.K., Amy Schumer, and then maybe Chris Rock, like, in a row. Wow. That's and people, amazing. And you can just sitting there, and you're, like, from Kansas City or something. Yeah. I picked it at random. <laughs> Could be from uh, New Jersey or a different part of New York. <laughs> Buffalo. There's two Kansas cities, too. You don't I know. even know which one if you're, you're from. If, if you're from the one in Missouri and you're with sitting with someone from the Kansas side, and then, like, that's your show. If you paid $15. I'm like, I know. Yeah. And but then... That that's some of the thing that you don't think it's softened. I feel like it's softened. I feel like yeah. I don't. I I never noticed that until you said it. But I do think that. Uh, yeah, I mean there was. Uh, yeah, I mean there was. You know, Patrice used to bust balls pretty Patrice, heavily. Patrice, uh, he I was mean, great at it. He was great at it. And he also great thing about Patrice is if you gave it back to him, like all these guys who are bust ball busters, if you give it back to them, they're usually yeah. They they'll go. They'll take a hit pretty yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, couldn't think of anything I would ever feel comfortable saying to Patrice. Yeah, yeah I mean, sometimes he, he was it was just relentless, and you're like, yeah. can we just fucking... It's like when Bill, do, can we ever just have a conversation? Bill Burr has that bit about black guys breaking your balls, where he's like, don't wear the same shirt twice. <laughs> like, the, if they notice in the same week, they'll be like, this motherfucker got five shirts. One that says Monday, one says Tuesday, one says Wednesday. Oh, that's funny. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, no shirts. So you think there's so you think it's less you think it's less ball busting. Well, it's just something I've been considering because the world that I'm trying to write about in in the show is that it could be you though. You bring that intimidation with you. Oh yeah, I think you. And then you're. Afraid. I always try to uh, when I see young comics hanging out, I try to go back and go, oh man, it they're hanging out, and not getting on. Yeah. And try to at least remember. That's that. how I. Am. Not that I would be not nice to them to begin with, but just like. No, you were always cool, man. You'd come by the Boston and. You were one of those guys. Whenever you or like Dimitri Martin uh-huh. would come by, it was so rare. And I, I don't want to call you an alt guy. Obviously, you do clubs, but you were. There's no one more alt than me. <laughs> but you were appealing to what I liked. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, Burr was still. I, I loved Burr. He was. He's my favorite, and was my favorite. But if somebody came that like had that college appeal, uh-huh. you know, it was 24. Yeah, at the time, 25 maybe. I, I would shit a brick, and, and you guys would come. And if you did badly uh-huh. at the Boston... You'd shit me, two bricks. It, no, it would make me really happy. If we because, just... because I did badly. You know what I'm saying? So if, See, that's worse than the bragging. What you just did, <laughs> re, rejoicing in someone's... But uh, imagine if you're at a bad club. It's, it wasn't always bad. A lot of great people went up there. But if you're at a club that just doesn't get you, yeah. and I'm up there and I'm doing jokes that weren't unlike jokes that you or Dimitri would do. Like, it was like... I was trying to be unique. Yeah. And then, like, you'd eat shit, you'd eat shit, you'd eat shit. And then a guy comes up and talks about his scrotum looks like a beanbag chair that you left in the rain or whatever, and everyone's dying. If one of your heroes comes and eats shit or just doesn't destroy, but does well, but doesn't destroy, you're like, good, I'm on the right track. Because that was one of those weird lessons to learn was, like, 
destroying doesn't always mean like, no it doesn't mean you're doing something great yeah and sometimes <laughs> those destroying sometimes the people who are a little quirky they might have a rougher time but ultimately then they find a group of people and they resonate more than like that's the, right the generic power act that's right i think it I, Melania and i were just joking about that you always see like a photo of like robin williams and billy crystal and then like a big fat guy in a suit i'm just making that up yeah. it's not a real photo but they'd always be like, and that fat guy was was Johnny Linitis, and nobody could follow Johny. You know what I mean? Right, like, and you don't, and, and he's you don't not around anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah, or he like something tragic happens. But there's always some amazing guy. I actually would. I think it's an idea I have for a documentary. Would be those guys in those photos. Who's that guy? But it's a little. That's a little. Seems like a little. I do. There are a bunch of people who like. You wonder what happened to that guy. Yeah. Like, like, how could he? Is he making a living? Was he could be working at a bank? That's it. If there was a way to do it that didn't seem like an expose of like, haha, you didn't make it, right? Unquote. I would. I think that would be an interesting. But there's also people who, uh, I don't know. There's some people, overconfident people, I can't deal with. Sure. I think that's a very. And then there's people who are like, you know, have a swagger of like, I'm in show business. Like. And even, <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, i mean, I think everyone at the beginning thinks they're better than they are, including me. You have to, though. Have you seen Sleepwalk with me? Mike's movie? Yeah, I did. He talks about, like, the delusion necessary to start comedy. You have to do badly and get off stage and go, I think that went pretty well. Some people hold on to that delusion. <laughs> I mean, there are people, yeah, there are people who I've seen who bomb almost all the time and with reason, and then they... They, they ignore that, or they they don't say I'm great. They go, oh, I'm not. Uh, it's bullshit that I don't get right. more spots, or some they for some reason it's like, well, you kind of have to. Right. You have to shine when you go on stage. Right, right, right. So if you shine and you f- are persistent, you get on stage and you shine, people start talking about you. Right. And then you become a fucking big star with a podcast. <laughs> You're talking about me, of course. I was talking about both of us. <laughs> I'm talking about, but you were never a big uh, road guy. Like, I remember talking to you once years ago. I don't know why I was talking to you, but, mm. and I was, I was trying to insult you right there. But they asked. <laughs> oh, and you I, were just, I thought you said, I don't know when I was talking. Oh, about. no, I said, why? I didn't hear that. No, it's not a good insult. <laughs> just trying to bring back the old days. <laughs> uh, you're making me feel familiar. They, um, but you were like, you were like, yeah, I just do colleges. Well, yeah, you, you were talking to me in 2007. And I would, see, Learning to love the road, I think, is really tricky. I was married up until 2007. And right when I got divorced, I did a string of 50 colleges. So that's probably when we talked about it. Up until that point, I didn't want to do the road because I was married. I didn't want to leave my wife. I was very, very deeply codependent, clingy and and gross and cutesy. See, that's that's why you understand why my wife left. (laughs) But then, like, and she really left me for, like, a man, you know, like a real guy that could fix your car and stuff. It makes perfect sense. So... I thought, like, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave my wife. I used to go to, like, do a weekend in, like, Iowa. I remember doing Cedar Rapids, Iowa Penguins or something. I've never done Penguins, but it's been around forever. Yeah, it's a, it's an old club. And I used to be so sad and alone. and like I. But then you, you, a shift happens. You And this is deliberate. I tell comedians this all the time. I'm like, you need to train yourself to love the road and be like, Oh, hotels. I love hotels. Yeah, that I, I do love hotels. I, but you see, I, I do too. But I don't know if I always did or if it was the effort that I did to trying to love hotels. I was like, clean towels and you can take a long shower. And nobody's waiting and, and watch a movie during the day and nap. And like, 
find the food and all that sort of stuff. There's a romance to having one thing to do in a day. I almost feel like the road is, I'm just having this thought right now, and I don't know if I even agree with it, <laughs> is that it's either good, even like Comedy Club Road is either good for when you're just starting out and you're like, I can't believe I get on stage. Yeah. Or you've got, you're getting a draw. Yeah. But I feel like that middle ground might be a little rough where it's like, hey, I've kind of done a couple of things, but I'm still yeah. playing at 60 people. I would agree. And that's the difference between working the road and touring. And now I, I still don't work the road. I tour. Well, that's what know? I do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I know you do. But I think we need to like that language. But that I, is the road. I agree. <clears throat> but I think the real road is when you are in that middle place. Those guys that are really like grinding it out, I think those are the road guys. But I always admire, I mean, I always. Because I occasionally would meet someone like in L.A. and maybe in New York. They're just, no, I don't do the road. I don't, you know. Like they almost, it was a point of pride. It's a point of pride that you do seven-minute sets in front of your friends. Right. And you think you're. Right. Is that how Richard Pryor made it? Was Because he killed in front of his friends? That's right. It's it's the, I've said this on my own podcast, but it's the cardio versus the gym and the road and all that sort of stuff. The harder rooms are the gym and they make you strong. And the cardio is the seven-minute But they're sets. not. They're, I mean, I don't consider the road harder I, I mean if i got it can be well any show could be show what the sure. you know a new york club could be i think what it is is and I, I i have the same sort of resentment for the guys especially la guys that just like don't do the road and i'm like you need to go to portland you know what i mean go to seattle go to austin go to you, chicago you can go everywhere i mean i you know i just had a great show in Mississippi. I mean, yeah. you go I just all had a over. Great show in Minneapolis, one of the best shows. Yeah, of my entire yeah it's tour. like they're just people who want to, and they're often they're more polite than they are in the. That's true. In the, I think it's the fly, it's the getting up and flying, yeah, and all day you're knowing that you have to deliver. Yeah, when they're just doing seven minutes and they get a little bit drunk before they're set, you know, they're blurring the craft with just hanging out, and that makes it tolerable for them. But if you have to book a flight and think ahead, all right, I want to get to Chicago at 3 so I have time to nap and eat before my show at 9, then it starts to no, it's, become harder to avoid in your mind. It can be a grind, but, I mean, because I've also met people like, well, you know, do you go on the road? No, 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 not really. Why not? I don't, I don't really know how to do it. Oh, yeah. well, how did you get on stage at the laundromat show or whatever you're doing a show on? I mean, that took some work. Right. You didn't just walk in for any show and really go, Right. put me on. The truth is, though, my... So figure it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. When I was in Chicago, I did do the... I was one of the handful of people that actually would go to Milwaukee and would go to Peoria. <laughs> you know, well, we had to drive. Like, we didn't have the money to fly. That's, that's hardly like doing the road. I live in Chicago. And I went to Milwaukee. I mean, well, you, I, can, <laughs> you could take a train there and ten, I or a bus or whatever. That's true. But we, we would only go places you could drive. Right. Because you're making 50 bucks for yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. weekend or whatever. Uh, and I think that was really important. It, 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 that's where you get your chops. And when I see a guy in L.A. that can only do that seven and he can only do it at Largo or whatever, I'm like, you need to, you need to lift some weights. You need to get out there. And it's not because it's bad. It's because it's different. But also, I mean, it's, it's a myth that, that the audiences are – rough on the road i mean and also when people say oh you know you go on the road they have contempt it's like well this is the example i always use they have it's what like, like people can sort of like well i don't use a road comic like oh you talking about chris rock and louie and amy schumer and all these people who've played i disagree 50 I, states i know what a road comic is and those are touring comics 
A road comic is a guy that goes up and is completely bulletproof. He's played too many roadhouses. He's done too many shows. Well, I mean, you're you're just is... you're assigning a definition to road that. I don't think Amy Schumer, Chris Rock, or Seinfeld are, are road guys. These are but guys you're that... you're assuming. I mean, this is going to get ugly now. <laughs> it's going to be our first real argument. The. Uh, I mean, I. I'm I'm a road comic, but but I mean there is a a different I, definition of road where like oh not, the guy's got some road in him yeah or something like that. I think I know what you're saying, and I hear what you're saying that the the touring is valuable and playing outside of your little comfort zone is is really great, and not because it's hard out there, but because that's what we do. We're carpenters and we build tables. Go build some tables. Go entertain yeah. some folks and and be good at your job. And I completely agree. The road guy to me, especially in the Midwest, is the guy that in my opinion, just wants to put comedian on his W-2 or maybe he just loves it or maybe he can't do anything else. So he'll go and he'll book all these shows one nighter after one nighter after one nighter after one nighter. And they're roadhouses. You're playing a lot of comedy nights. Your name isn't even on the bill. And you just go up and you do right across the plate stuff about TV commercials and shit that plays everywhere. That to me is a real road dog. Or the danger, I should say, of being a road dog. No, I mean there are there are road people who are, um, you know, get a little robotic. Yeah, but then there's also super lazy non-road people who just fucking swagger up there with their little napkin. I wonder who we're both thinking of as our example. I was thinking of you, actually. <laughs> no, because you have this romance with it, and I like that. I know, I know the guys. But it's you're not. But about. I mean, it, to me, it's like here's. I'm going to say it this way. Your TV show, if it comes out, I mean, it will come out. Yeah. When it comes out is what I meant to no, say. No, it's if it comes out. It's a okay. pilot. If it comes out, do you want like only people in L.A. and Chicago to watch it? Well, that's exactly right. Or do you want to be able to go to a mall in Athens, Georgia, and someone goes, hey, man, I like your show. Exactly. But see, that to me is – Eugene Merman said this really interesting thing because he tours. Yeah. And I was like, how do you do that? You're such an East Village guy. I didn't say it that baldly, but I was like, you're an East Village guy. And he's like, there's an East Village everywhere. Exactly. Okay. That is different from the guy that's just in a, living out of his car and driving from bar room to bar room. But I, 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 you don't admire that guy? I admire that guy more than some fucking person who claims they're a comedian and does shitty seven-minute sets and schmoozes and gets drunk in L.A. or New York. Interesting. A guy who wakes up and fucking drives to some... I mean, that's way more... Even noble? It, no, not noble, but it takes way more guts to drive I to disagree. a one... I've given that advice many times to people where I'm like, you, all you want to do is put comedian on your W-2. You should put waiter on your W-2 and stay in Portland. Why would you say that? Because... They, they're not getting good. They need to But stay. how do you know that? How do you know that since you haven't done a lot of it? But I have done a lot of it I mean, it I've now. done shows in fucking, you know, catfish restaurants. Seriously. <laughs> so have I. Not catfish restaurants. Yeah. But I've, I've, I've done road now. I mean, when we met, I, that was 2007. So you wouldn't tell a comedian, I would tell a comedian, go on anywhere and everywhere. I mean, I, I, I think feel like you're a you product of your environment. This is something Jim Gaffigan said. I think said. you have a, a prejudice have against these environments. I do, and I have a prejudice against the Boston Comedy Club. Gaffigan came and saw me there, and he was like, you need to get out of here. You're a product of your environment, and you're going to start doing what everyone does there to do well because the fear of bombing is going to be enough of a motivating factor 
to like lose some of your authenticity. But you can have you don't have fear of bombing if you do a set at UCB. I, I do, do, but I like that if I go up at UCB and, for example, this is going to be like low-hanging fruit. If I do a bit about Uber or Periscope or something, they're probably going to know what I'm talking about. That's changing a lot of clubs. Well, that's just specific. That's like, you know, someone not knowing about Uber, maybe they're in a city where they don't have Uber. But if they had Uber there, they would probably get the concept. And as someone who booked a Unless late you really night... want to do Uber show, uh, jokes. But as someone who booked a late night show, I would rather put the guy on that's talking about Uber than the guy that's talking about the stuff that every single person in the world would get. Well, probably everyone's talking about Uber. <laughs> if I go to L.A., I bet I can find fucking 50 comics who talk about Uber if I did a... Sure. Because I feel like, uh, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? No, I, I actually am agreeing with you, Todd. I just think we you have got to agree with me. It's my podcast. Man. We have different avatars in our brain. You have this, I know you didn't say noble, but I'm saying noble kind of pure guy who's working it. He's not the phony in a relevant, or, you know, not relevant, in a scene that is, you know, New York, L.A. or whatever, and just kind of being friends with famous people. And also another thing. I don't know if I just cut you off. You did, but everybody, Whoa, I've ahead. been saying the same thing over and over, so okay. they know where I was going. What did you just say? I was saying I, I'm, I'm agreeing with the idea that there's something better about the guy who's grinding it out. I'm saying what Gaffigan said, which is you're a product of your environment, and if you book comedy night after comedy night but, after comedy night— But Gaffigan's a guy. I ran into him—I mean, I've known Jim forever. Yeah. I remember we—over 20 years ago, I ran into him at uh, Penn Station or Grand Central— and we were both going to different areas of Connecticut, I believe, to do guest sets. Mm. Gaffigan's a guy who goes on anywhere, still. Yeah. So, I mean, I know what you're saying. That if you know a club is just always shitty, mm-hmm. then I could say, or you don't do that. But just to say, hey, that show's in the Midwest, and they're not super smart like they are in L.A., which is not even true. Right. I'm also talking about we're in a, we're in a comedy boom now, so there's a better chance that you can go anywhere and it'll be okay. I'm really going back in my mind to about 2001 where I knew these guys that lived out of their cars that would go to these places. And you could tell. That's really when I feel like you could tell. I think you still can tell when someone has too much road on them. They lose their vulnerability. They lose their subtlety. And you start seeing a lot of bits about how you can't find the G-spot. That's what you do to survive. It's not putting them down. If you have to kill in Rockford, Illinois, you have to talk about your dick. But you what are people to. talking about at these "quote unquote" alt rooms? You're gonna get like it, you're gonna get a Dan Mintz there. You've never. I don't. I don't want Dan Mintz to go on the road. I don't want Dan Mintz to try. He wouldn't be Dan Mintz if Dan Mintz started in the middle. Andy Kaufman went on the road. He's weirder than Dan Mintz. I agree, but he went on the road when he was touring. I don't know about that. Me neither. And I said <laughs> it with authority. <laughs> you said that with complete. Well, at least you. You, you don't agree. Like if Dan Mintz. Instead of trying to be a writer in New York or L.A., had like just stayed in Kansas City to use your kind of just regular town example. In the in when he was coming up, he, you I feel like you are a New Yorky guy. You got that New York flavor, and that was important. You were following guys that were going up. What if you had to host? If all all the time you're hosting at like your local comedy club. And you had to have big energy and stuff. I don't know if we would get the subtle talk. You don't. You, you should do what you want. Now. You should do what you. I mean, you, you wouldn't do well, and eventually it would. It but would you're, beat that's it into that's you. where, that's where you're wrong. <laughs> do you have? Let's think of some good comedians. Let's say like a Patton Oswalt. Sure. I have no or a Dave Attell. 
I have no doubt you could drop them. You could find the worst one-nighter in the world, drop them in it, and because they have skills, they'd do well. Yeah, it's there's a chance they're going to bomb, right? But there is something to be said for knowing what you're doing, and 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 that's the weights of it. And again, this goes back to the part that I agree with you about. I I just the part I agree with you about is good to stretch and perform everywhere and make sure this is what Brian Regan did. He killed in the city, but then he would go out on the road and make sure he still played in Arkansas. But that's how he he works now, though. That's what I'm saying. That's good. Yeah. That's the good thing to do. It's bad to just do one or the other. I think you have to have a foot in both pools for sure. Bill Burr, another great example. He'll do CK. He'll do Whiplash. Then he'll do whatever from yeah. the Laugh Factory. I just the my the headline of my point is you're a product of your environment. But my problem with what you're saying is that there's sort of like this thing where it's games like I'm a little too smart to play that room that I know nothing about. And I think that's I just that we, doesn't we were just that doesn't serve about, you as a comedian. Sure, and I guess eating shit does serve you. Cuz I've seen people go up in front of a bad crowd and then they just shit on the crowd. It's like, well, you know, you had I understand bad crowds and I've gotten mad, but like you had 200 people there and 10 of them were jerks. And 190 of them were waiting, and you just bailed on You wiped the whole show out. I hear that. But take the bad show I was telling you about. Which one was that? West Palm. I did West Palm Beach. It was three great shows and one bad yeah. show. I'm not shitting on the club. But I went out, and it was mostly papered. It was all giveaways. But did you try? Of course okay, I tried. You tried. Okay. But Todd, I have bits where the punchline is my attitude. Where, and they're not bad bits. Uh-huh. The punchline is my vulnerability. And if I'm in a room... Take Irvine. I'm in a room, and I, I, t- I do a bit about how I have a Lululemon jacket. Yeah. And I just say I have a Lululemon jacket, and someone yells fag. Okay, fine. UCB, they're not going to yell fag, and I'm going to know that that bit works. Irvine, they're going to yell fag, and I'm going to have to learn how to grow with that. But if I'm only performing in places like Irvine or other places like that that are a little bit more aggressive and shallow... That's going to affect me. That's going to. But what about the two hundred ninety nine people who didn't yell "fag"? They don't get to hear the bit because someone interrupted it by someone yelling "fag." I and mean, guess what, Todd? I hear you saying you're 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 making the point that like comedians can make it work. Yeah, I don't. You must I'm be. Not on a, a, I'm a not good, even talking about making it work. You must be on a good run lately, man, because like everyone can go up and get their ass kicked oh, by a bunch too. of dumb fucks. Me too. But... And if you keep getting your ass kicked by a bunch of dumb fucks, you're going to change how you approach it. It's too frightening of a, of a prospect to go up and get hurt again. So guess but what? I don't. I don't. I don't open with Lululemon anymore, and I'm going to open with a bit about how I look like John Ritter with Down syndrome. Ha ha ha! Guess what? That's not going to get me on a late night show. That's not going to get me a half hour. No, but hour. then you'll go on a you'll go on the late night show and they'll go, "Yeah, Lululemon's a sponsor. We can't really." <laughs> you just changed the subject with expert precision. <laughs> they, um... I'm just saying it. It should be a mix. If I didn't do the UCB and know that the Lululemon joke is good, I wouldn't know well enough when the guy yells "fag." It was a girl, actually, to just kind of go like, "Well, they don't get that one tonight. It's okay," and move on. But okay, you're going. You're you're some dumb woman yells fag when you say Lululemon. Yeah, and you're going, oh, they don't get it. She didn't get it. I agree. She had the. There power, might be though. ten. I've done hellish shows where people come up to. I did a no. I did a fucking corporate once. It was just brutal. And these people walk by me and they go. Afterwards, they go, we get it. Yeah, and not that that made that show. Didn't, I mean, it was. It made me feel a lot better because yeah. it's like, well, you got people. You know what's funny? What? I 
I forget where I was. It was, a, it was a club I played with Gaffigan, I think, actually. And I asked them, you had been there. So yeah. this is when, it, like 2003. Okay. So I was really green. And I was excited that you had been there. And that made me happy. Yeah. Because the other people were like dirty hypnotists. Yeah. Oh, and there's you. And I was like, how was Todd? And what they said was they, he, they didn't get it. The comedians obviously loved you. Yeah. It was probably like a one-nighter. Yeah. And the, I was just thinking about this today because I was thinking about you coming here. And the joke that he goes, uh, he goes, maybe you misquoted it, but I remember this is what he said. He goes, Todd tells this joke. He goes, like, I just met a guy with a neck tattoo. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you didn't remember to not do that. Something like that, yeah. Right? And that's a very subtle joke. Dead silence, he said. Like, and that's, that, to me, is kind of what I'm talking about. You had the fortitude to do those rooms and go, no, these are funny jokes. And the people come up to me after shows and say, I get it. But it does require a certain type of grit to hold on to your persona and hold on to your truth. A lot of people might not be strong But don't enough. you think some of the, but I mean, at a lot of these rooms that, because I've had people say to me, oh, you can do both kinds of rooms. I'm like, what do you mean both kinds of rooms? The room with the microphone and the chairs and the other room with the microphone and the chairs? <laughs> like the shit that's happening at these alt rooms is not all smart comedy. I agree. I mean, it might be pilots. You can mention pilot season in L.A., and that's not smart. Yeah. My doctor probably doesn't know what pilot season is. I agree. But there are... My doctor's an idiot, by the way. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like talking about the alt... I don't like saying alt rooms. I, I like saying rooms Cause I've heard, versus yeah. clubs. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Rooms, to me, it's just like... Mulaney and I were joking that it's, just, it's food service. It's like, can you kill somewhere where there's no food service? That's UCB. There's no food or drink service. And a club could be the exact same thing. Oh, no, people. that's why I do music. I mean, that's what I love about these venues that that's I do. That's why it's a room. It's not an alt room. It's just, right. You do rooms, and I like doing rooms as well. They're like little theaters. Yeah. That's why I love a tell. I think a tell makes the most sense at the cellar with a rowdy crowd. Like, I love that a tell the most. Right. I don't really want to see a tell. I do. But I, it's not as fun to see him at UCB with a bunch of polite white kids. Oh, see, I love, I, oh, I love seeing that. Be I you love know, seeing I, both things because a tell with a, a bad crowd is really funny because yeah. he'll subtly just uh, insult them between. I every haven't game. seen that. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's really good. I was I was basing that on conjecture. That's funny because I did a show once with Dave. Uh, I was emceeing at the Boston Comedy Club, and it was one of those nights where it's just it was. Excuse me, it was hateful from the beginning. Like mm. The crowd was terrible. And he kind of came in, sat and looked around a little bit. And he goes, I go, do you want to go on? He goes, he goes I want, I'm going to come back when it's really bad. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. It was like, they're terrible at the beginning. That's Can you imagine what great. they're going to be in an hour and a half? That's like, great. <laughs> did he come back? I think he did, probably, oh yeah. Oh, my God. See, I love those guys. John Oliver is another one of those guys that savor all of the experiences, meaning they want to deliberately have I, a rough one. Because I was talking to Pat once, and I— I, I, maybe I was, or I overheard him, or I was, or I was talking to him. I do know the guy, and he was talking about like doing a show at the UCB, and you know I've had wonderful, fun. Sh I mean, I, yeah, Whiplash is great, and the sh whatever the show, a Crash Test, all yeah. that shit was good. But you know, and I've heard I think Louis say things like you know you you can do a joke there. That you know, half ninety percent of what you do there that works, you can't do. And it's because it, sometimes they're too easy. 
I, I would say that for sure for Meltdown. If you do a bit at Meltdown that doesn't work, you should kill yourself. <laughs> like it's, it's just like you're not good at comedy. And I'm saying this to myself. Like I've had bits that don't work at Meltdown. Why don't you it's, kill yourself? Uh, <laughs> that was hyperb. But it's just so generous. I agree, but it really is both. To me, the, the bookers of The Tonight Show are going to be more impressed a lot of the times with the, with the guys that are going up and finding a way to work both. Not one or the other, but both. Okay. That's another thing I, I always bring up. It's going to be the last. Um, then we're going to completely shift gears. <laughs> um, but yeah, because I've the, the people who are doing only alt rooms and uh, yeah things like that, and think that they're playing the super sophisticated people, which sometimes they are. I mean, UCB audience is generally going to be very polite mm-hmm. and enthusiastic and really good. And I think that's important. It is important. But because you get practice for what it'll be like to do a theater. But people who um, who work there, I, I often want to go. Well, would you do the Tonight Show or Letterman if it was still on the air? Yeah, okay. Well, what do you think the live audience at Letterman is? Yeah, it's people who were just at the M M&M and M store. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know. And are you too good to? Do you not want to do it now? Or right? And that's, that's why you really need to. I think you need to keep your. It's a great a point. I mean. It's a great point. You should acknowledge when I make great points like I that. Thought, I thought it was a great point. But that's why it really is about uh, doing both. And But I think when you when you only, let's say you only do the seller and you're only used to like pointing out a Hasidic Jew in the front and. Well, don't point him out. <laughs> See, that's the thing. A lot of it is, I think, discipline, self discipline to say like, I understand like adapting to your environment or, or in a bad way, but yeah. you can also hold your ground. But see, I think that see, I, I'm actually complimenting you this whole way. Really, I that's really am. You have let's, and the, the let's word edit out it. everything we've said so far and just get right to the compliment. The word is fortitude. The comedian needs to know who he is, and the comedian needs to not waver. That's literally, I'm pretty sure, the definition of fortitude. And you have that. I'm concerned that not everybody has that when they're starting out. Well, then they're not artists. They're becoming artists, and that's why I get a little bit more fragile. That's the most pretentious thing I've ever said. Uh, when I'm like, you need to protect the baby and let it grow bones a little bit before you send it to the fucking West Palm Beach Improv oh, I, for a coked-up, comped audience. I, I'm saying five I years. Think, I think even— uh, I really think we're coming from different— I'm seeing the generation difference between— It's not generation. No, no, it's not I about, really am. It's, it, I, I'm not calling you old. I just think you came from that time when that, no, that's but a these, preposterous these are, idea. Uh, these are very smart things that I'm saying. <laughs> if someone said I got booked as a middle at the West Palm Beach Improv, and I go, well, you're going to play to you know, 1,500 people in a week— Right. Or you could do the bar room where there's 20 people, I'm not, not get you... paid, and 18 of them are your friends either fake laughing or icing you out because right. they're, they've heard the shit before. And you get new fans out of it. But, but, God, just, but just by you... assuming they're all terrible people in a place. No, is... no. I, that's not what I'm doing. Okay. But I'm saying they might – it's dangerous. I would take that weekend even when I was – I did take that weekend when I was doing it a year. This is how I met Yeah. Gaffigan. Well, that's how you it's make how new I, fans it's how and you end you. up working with people. And who... it's how you get better for yeah. sure. But the road guy is the guy that swings from that to the next one to the next one to the next one and never goes home, never checks in with, with, the, with his scene. He doesn't have a community. He's got no people. But uh, – okay. I'm, I'm drained. 
I'm drained from this fucking ridiculous conversation. It's the most the heated, most heated conversation ever on the Dodberry podcast. Medium energy to low energy. I know it wasn't real heated. It was just intense. I talk about it all the time. I know. I, I get I get fired up about it. <laughs> I think it's that was me fired up, by the way. <laughs> In the ballpark of an epiphany. Uh, let's burn out a couple more topics. This is already pushing an hour, which is long for me. <laughs> I usually, I'd be bailing by now, but we spent like 80 minutes on one topic. <laughs> yes, I know the math didn't add up there, so I'm sure someone wants to correct me on that. I know 80 minutes is longer than an hour. Uh, I know that. You should call this episode Fortitude. I know that. Discussion on Fortitude. I feel like I want to talk about it more, but I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm concerned about the people at home either loving it or hating it. I took the weekends. I did. But I mean, yeah. No, I mean, now I now I avoid that, a lot of that shit, because I... Because I just, you've earned it. Yeah, but I also, but also another thing, this is the last thing I'll say. <laughs> that, that's another thing, is I think there's people who are picky, and it's like, you're not good enough to be picky about right. where you're going on stage. Right. It's like the guy that books one commercial, and now he thinks he can get a Mercedes, and you're like, you realize that it was a one-time check. You right. <laughs> But just like, uh, that's not a good analogy. But the. <laughs> I think it was. People act like their shit don't stink way earlier while their shit does still stink. Right. And it's just like, yeah, you know, when you get better and people start to know you, then you can go to a place and have just people know. But until. Until then. If you're not known and you go to Cleveland and you book a, an independent show at a music venue, right. no one's going to show up. Right. So you can play to zero people or you can play to the paper people. Strangers. Yeah. yeah. I uh, agree. That's the I last played word to the on. strangers. I don't think you have. I'm gonna book. I'm gonna book your next tour. It's gonna be the worst one nighters that you've ever like. Twelve hour drives. See, I never did that, and I'm glad I. So never you don't like getting. Done. You don't like getting your hands dirty. I'm too weak, Todd. There you go. I'm too weak. Man, we could have saved a lot of time if we just got to you confessing how weak you are. <laughs> you I, a... I am fried. Like here, one more thing for me. It's kind <laughs> of different. I think bits need to be, some bits need to be protected, and I only can let a bit get scarred and trashed. Take the Boston. I was at the Boston. Every <laughs> night I'd go up and I'd do this bit. I'm trying to think of a bit I had. It doesn't matter. About the subway. And it would never work. And then I'd go to Rafifi, and it would destroy. Right. But guess what got me premium blend and what got me my half hour? It was that bit. Right. You know what I mean? So I went up at the Boston and tried to, Use my chops to sway people that don't really, I'm not really their cup of tea, get them into it. And that built up some muscle tone in my persona. But I had to go to the, the other scene, the, the, the cool, quote unquote, cool scene. So I knew that I was on the right track. If I had listened to those people, the Boston Comedy Club audiences, I would have been like, well, I guess I, I'm not good. And then I'd go to Rafifi. And I'd you should have listened to them because you're not uh, good. <laughs> you should have listened because they were right when they said you're not good. But I've seen you kill. I'm sure I saw you kill at the Boston Comic Club. No, I don't think so. I would do okay. Towards the end, I had one story that would kill. The, uh, it was this You story. do have one bit. The story <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> you do have one bit I remember that I always made. A line you made me laugh where you said you hate museums. I thought that was. Oh, that I, was. I thought that was a funny line because I was like, God, that's like something that probably a lot of people, it's like not a lot of people are going to say that out loud. Everyone's going to go, yeah, you know, I went there, I went to the museum. Yeah. But I get fucking, I get so overwhelmed at museums. I can't say I hate them because I'm an intellectual. It's funny because that's the bit. I say I hate museums and I'm done pretending I like museums. Yeah. 
Because it is, there's a social pressure. You're helping me remember the bet. There's a social pressure to pretend you like it. Well, it explains why you didn't do well there, because you're shallow. Ah. Boom, I just slammed you. Good. Um, are you still doing New Yorker? Car- I tried to go look at your New Yorker cartoons, and I got a privacy error on my browser. What? what kind of fucking I just firewall do you have? I just looked them up. I just showed them to old Judd App. Really? Apatel, yeah. Just uh, go to the Cartoon Bank. Cartoon Bank. It's the New Yorker's website. I can show them on my phone. Yeah, if you why don't want, you do that. Right up or here. maybe it's going to be. Maybe this isn't good for podcast. No, I think it'll be to... funny because you. They're not. They're not laugh out loud funny. So oh, good. So I can make fun of. Them. Yeah, exactly. I can insult you. They're kind of like they have a subtlety to them. A Todd Berry subtlety. I, mean. I think I accidentally re- repressed my good memories. That's funny. See, that's a, like a. T- that's subtle. That is subtle. Yeah. How did you get? I know everyone asks you, but that's like a. Isn't that like a prestigious thing getting? A New Yorker. Concert. It is, yeah. There must be people. They must get tons of submissions. I they do, and I sold four, and then I kind of noticed that there's nobody more miserable than an underappreciated cartoonist. Right. So I was like, there's no real difference between having been in the New Yorker and being in the New Yorker. You know what I mean? Like you can say I'm a New Yorker cartoonist. You know what I'm saying? But that's those types of things are kind of uh, those little prestige things are they make you feel good. They oh keep you going a little bit. That was a huge uh, thrill for me. Because you, if you wanted to like, do a cartoon book, which I'm sure you could get just from your other work, but you could say, here's four that's right. from New Yorker. That's right. And they go, oh, this guy's the real deal, New but Yorker. But that's the thing. You put on the cover of the book. How did you from crack that? It's a great question because I love giving credit where it's due. Is I had maybe 50 to 60 cartoons that I had rough draft, yeah. you know, basically just the ideas. And I really, really kind of, I'm a big goal person. And I set a goal. I was like, I want That's wanna... so funny. On my list of questions, I was oh, asking about goals, but go ahead. I really believe in the, it's not a supernatural power, but I think there's something subconscious that happens when you go, that's my goal. Okay. And my goal was to be in the New Yorker. So I would draw them. And I really believe that certain jokes want to be certain things. Yeah. And it feels really unnatural when you try and make a New Yorker cartoon a stand-up joke or a stand-up joke that should be a movie or be a cartoon or whatever it is. So I had all these ideas, but I didn't know how to get in. And then I saw Matt Diffie. Do you know Matt Diffie? He used to do local shows around. Uh, no. He did UCB. Maybe I've met him and I don't remember. He'll go up on stage with a, like an overhead projector and show his cartoons. Okay. So he was the first New Yorker cartoon I met. I'd like to point out that I wouldn't have met him if I was working just the chuckles through the Midwest. <laughs> I love that. That's your that supports your argument. I happen to meet this guy at UCB. Therefore, you should not go on the road because I, I would not have met Matt Tiffy. <laughs> well, there is something to being part of a community, and I met this guy who was in the community. And to his credit, I was just like, "Hey, man, I got all. Hey, man, yeah. I got all these cartoons, and I really want to get in the New Yorker." And I still kind of can't believe he had never seen me perform or anything. He was like, "Well, we should let's go to dinner, and you can show them to me." That's weird. It's incredible. That's almost like crazy, uncomfortably weird. Crazy. Like you just met him, and he said, "Let's go to dinner." I had watched him, and he and he gave me his email, and we emailed back and forth, and then he was like, "Well, let's meet, and you can show." Oh, them so there to were a few emails before he said. There that. were emails. Yeah. Why did he want to have dinner though? I suggested we'd get. We went to Two Boots. Oh, okay. So I bought him pizza and I showed him my work. And... That's not like a dining out situation. No, it's a no. good slice, though. Good slice. I do Spicy. like two boots. And uh, he looked at my work and he was very, he wasn't like super effusive or encouraging, but he was like, yeah, these are good. 
I think you need to work on this and this. And what you should do is get 10 cartoons together and you submit it. And he was like, you shouldn't submit until you have like 30 that you're ready to go. Because you give 10 a week. Oh, you do? Anybody can go to the New Yorker cartoon meeting. It's it's Tuesday, I think. Seriously? Noon. Yeah, you can go. Go to Condé Nast and say, I'm here for the cartoon meeting. They'll let you in. <laughs> and that's when you actually physically hand? And you get you go up uh, to the blah, blah floor. I forget what it is. They might have changed it now. I don't know. But you go in one at a time, and you hand him 10 cartoons, and he flips through them like this. And he hands the ones that he's not holding on back to you. The first time I went in, I think he held on. I gave him 15 and he held on to maybe like seven of them. So like anyone off the streets can walk in and... Well, every once in a while we would see somebody that was I would clearly... think that would be like the biggest like iron... Oh, no, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like hard not to, to crack. In. Yeah, like the CIA or something. Fort yeah. Knox. It's, I mean, there is security. You need to like have cartoons and be like, yeah, yeah. for the meeting. <laughs> that's, uh, you... that's a good sign that you're saying. I wrote cartoons. <laughs> oh, come on. Yeah, come on. Well, come on in. It's like an animated and I got a big backpack stuff. also. Well, yeah. Yeah, come on in. Every once in a while, there'd be some weird guy, because all the cartoonists know each other, and there'd be one weird guy that like had one cartoon, because that's not how it works. You, you have to bring 10 a week. Yeah. And you do that. Bruce Eric Kaplan, who's, I think, my absolute favorite. He is my absolute favorite, but I'm trying to think of how long he did it. I think it was three, at least three years uh-huh. he sent in 10 a week. Never sold anything. The first time he sold one, he bawled like a baby. I came in. I, was, I had the benefit of going in in person. So I would like get feedback yeah. from the editor. He would he would roast him sometimes. He'd be like, "Your people look like chickens and stuff." Yeah. I remember something he said. It looks like you drew this with your foot, uh, stuff like that. And then eventually, uh, Jack Ziegler. You know Ziegler? I feel like I've heard that name. He's the biggest one. He's in almost every issue. Sometimes two, two or three times in every issue. So Ziegler's a big name, and he was there. And I went up to him. Everybody was avoiding him. It was like fucking Jim. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was there, you know. So I go up to him and I'm like, hey, man, I was just, this works sometimes. It doesn't always work. But my dad was one of those people that was like, go up, Peter, and ask for what you need. Like, tell yeah, yeah. people what you need. And sometimes that doesn't work for real. But like this time I went up and I was very hat in hand. And I was just like, I just want you to look at my work. Could you just... Wait, where did you see him at? We were in the waiting room waiting to go in. At he the... still has to go to the meeting? He was not going to the meeting. He was visiting. Okay. But he came on a Tuesday. I mean, that was deliberate. He probably wanted to see the other comedian, uh, yeah. cartoonists. I just, I didn't say, can you help me? I just said, would you mind looking at my work and telling me what you think? I'm really trying to get in. I haven't gotten in. It's been six months. Yeah. Six months, if you do the math, 10 a week time for six months yeah, is a fuck ton of fucking cartoons. Uh, so he looks at them and he, and he really liked them. He went in and I sold one that week because he Did was, he kind of? I, I don't know, but I'm assuming he said, give the kid a chance. Wow. So that do, was amazing. Do they pay well? I'm not asking you how much, but do they pay no, well? No, to my memory, it was between four and $600. I can't remember. Oh. It could have been four. It might have been 550 or something, which isn't bad. But I started figuring it out. I was like, it takes me about an hour to yeah, do you, one of if these. If you work out the math, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's bad. That's a, you got ripped off by the But these know? guys, they get on contract. Guys like Ziegler get contracts and they get raises and they get benefits and all that sort of stuff. So you sold four. I sold four because one could have been a fluke, two was still could have been a fluke, and then I after I sold my fourth and they ran it. Sometimes they buy it and they don't run it. Oh really? Which sucks. So I they ran all four and then I was like, I had a really great experience. I'm still really grateful for it, but I was like, I'm not gonna keep doing this. And then I took all the cartoons that they didn't buy and I just had a box of jokes. 
It's a really good exercise. So when we did doctor sketches, one of the things that ultimately got me my talk show was that we made these sketches uh, called Doctor. And the opening line of a lot of those sketches was a New Yorker cartoon. Like I had a New Yorker cartoon where it was a doctor saying, when in doubt, just prescribe the drug on your pen. It's, it's very dry. That's funny. And we did that. We did a sketch, me and Matt McCarthy, and I go in, and I'm like, I'm going to prescribe, and I kind of look at my pen, and he's like, you just got that from your pen. And we turned it into a sketch. So all of the jokes ended up getting recycled. Almost every idea that I had has become Ah, so you got else. something out of it. I got a lot out of it. Dozens and dozens of sketches. But that was more empowering. Instead of going in and kind of being like, please put me in your wonderful magazine, which is a, a valid uh, ask, it became, I'm going to use these motherfuckers for myself. Yeah, that does sound like, uh, I mean, it sounds like comedy in a way where, where you just go, how about now? Yeah. How about now? Yeah. But forum's pretty good. Yeah, it felt good, it, and it still feels good, and it still comes up, and it's been maybe 10 years since I sold one. Uh, you got to get back in the business now. But... <laughs> you sell T-shirts on your website. You should, too. Really? Are you fucking... You have, like, 60 different designs, man. Here's what you do, Todd. No fooling. I'm sure you have... I have artist friends. I know you have artist friends, but I'm also sure you have bits that come up on this show, right? Um, Little funny things. On this show? Guests that are funnier than me. (laughs) Oh. Like, if something happens... Like, we had... Michael Shea did my podcast. Uh Uh-huh. And he told this story about an SNL after party where, like, uh, I believe it was Jack Nicholson and... um, Paul McCartney were, uh-huh. at the, at, were at the party and everybody was obviously buzzing that they were there. Yeah. And then in walked Prince <laughs> and all of a sudden everyone just loved Prince. Like, right. No one gave a shit. Right. And I said, you got princed. Like it's like a Prince apostrophe D. We were laughing about the idea of getting princed. So then we were like, when Michael Shea's episode came out, we put up the You Got Prince shirt. It's actually kind of a funny example because I had this gorgeous drawing of Prince with Jack Nich- Nicholson and Paul McCartney, drawn by Jenny Fine, who's amazing. But then it got taken down because Prince doesn't let his image. It's like Muhammad. Like, you can't have the image right. of Prince. So uh, they had to take it down. But then we put up another one that just said, you got Prince, to you know go with the episode. You put on Teespring. It costs you nothing. But you have to do the artwork. Yeah, you get the artwork from the artist. You pay the artist. So how many of those did you sell, if I may ask? I, they, I, they're still up. In fact, if anybody would like, the the, pop, the most popular one is PD is my homeboy, which is a picture of me and an H-O-L-M boy. And that's like a great shirt. When I see that on the road, it always makes me happy. And that's always selling. It's on just, the road? When are you on the road? I'm joking. You son of a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no fooling. You should do it. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about like the ones and zeros of it, but like absolutely. There's no overhead. Teespring. Teespring. I'll look anybody, at Teespring. Anybody that wants to make a T-shirt should use Teespring. I'm sure I'll get an email from Teespring. Hey, Todd, I heard you mention this. Uh, well, Teespring. Put this code in. Teespring's already good to me. Don't think I don't notice, Teespring. You uh, you let my campaigns tip well before they ought to. Well, Pete, this has been an extra long episode for me. I know if this was your podcast, it'd be, be like halfway. we'd be like the tenth of the way in. <laughs> <laughs> Just, we would still be talking about the touring thing. That, yeah, that was a normal conversation for me. I, I hope you feel... No, that was it. fine. No, it, it was good. We got into it. was like a pleasant, ugly, ugly conversation. <laughs> I think it's great when two people can talk about something. I, I'm really into non-duality, things not being binary. Yeah. Meaning you can be right and I can be right. Ah, I knew you were going to do that. Yeah. 
but we can. You may like that, but that's not what happened today. Completely. <laughs> I just think it's interesting when I can be arguing with you and agreeing with you. I really was. I yeah. really think you made valid points. I just think there's different. There's such a myriad of ways things can go that it's it's hard to call. Well, I'm calling this one, <laughs> and I won. <laughs> I think the people at home know what I want. The people who made it through that conversation know that I want it. They made it. Comics, if you're out there, get out on the road, anywhere, everywhere. I would say go up as much as you can, for sure. Don't be like Pete and say, I only do Carnegie Hall. But keep one foot in Oh, you should go, well, well, I would say, well, okay, I don't want to go back into it. I would say go on every possible kind of room, including the, the rooms that are always sweet. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Keep that influence. Of in course. Oh, I would never say don't go on at good rooms. Maybe that was what we were missing was I feel like the road dogs that never I do get all those rooms, room. man. Road dogs. You're not a road dog. Well, if you're going to make if a living. you're eating and like you... cold soup out of a can. <laughs> I would say it's better to be a barista and then, you know, tour occasionally and do the good rooms. That's how you keep that foot in there. That's we're pretty doing insulting, it again. Pretty insulting to baristas. Baristas are great. I know. I like a good cup of coffee. <laughs> Should we close with doing dueling Aziz impressions? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Whoa! <laughs> hey, man! I got a new suit! Whoa! It's really loud. Hey, man, I went to the taco truck with Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm getting a call from Jay-Z. Jay, call you back, please. Whoa! <laughs> he wouldn't be mad if you heard these, would he? No. What, is the, what are the chances he's going to hear them? No, nah, it's just it's flattering. It is the, flattering. The man yeah. is a is a, a bona fide is. celebrity, right. and he kind of talks. I get I'm so sensitive. Talks a little man. bit of like that. I'm sensitive, man. It's what really you, just my Ross Perot impression. Do you have anything you want to plug, man? Yeah, if you want to get uh, a T-shirt, PeteHolmes.com is a good place to do it, and uh, that's where my tour dates will be. Uh, do you have any tour dates coming up? Well, I'm I'm doing the pilot until November. We had to cancel them. Can I have them? Yeah, wise guys. You want to do wise guys? I just did Wise Guys then you in Ogden. It. it was phenomenal. I know. I I did Provo, Utah. I've done. I'm big in Utah. Yeah. Utah's good. I am big in Utah because I look like I look like a Mormon. Brian Regan is huge in Utah. I know. Like he does. That's he'll, big. Like he camps out there for like two weeks at like an eight thousand seater or something. Yeah, but, it's uh, like Joe Coy in Vegas. <laughs> I don't know much about Joe Coy. Weirdly, I know it. Seemed, it seemed like a burn. I just mean that dude sells out the Air Force Improv yeah. for like two consecutive weekends. I just read an article about Rod Stewart has a residency in Vegas, four hundred fifty thousand a show. That's what he makes. Yeah, so, and he like private jets home to L.A. after each show. What do you do with all that? I know. Just, just imagine doing like what is three the long, of the what's what? the long play for you, Todd? That's a good question to end. <laughs> like, if you had all that money. I think I would just get a nicer apartment because I feel like I don't know. I don't. I don't even know much how much money I have. Although I do know to the penny, <laughs> but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I, just, I don't have a ton of money, but you I, don't have any fantasies about like being like, oh, if I let's you have a billion dollars, yeah, would you just be like, I will keep doing comedy. Obviously, I mean that's the thing. I think a billion. See, I think that would ruin me way more than being on the road would. A billion? Oh yeah, it takes you out of the game. Well, I mean, I think you have to be hungry a little bit. For sure. Um, I agree with that. We should do a second part of this, just do that other conversation. So PeteHolmes.com, tour dates possibly in next year? 
Yeah, for sure. There'll be some up there. Oh, and then my podcast, You Made It Weird. Oh, that's right. And the first third, we always talk about comedy. So kind of like this podcast, and we talk about I, sex, and then we talk about God. I will, um, I will cut and paste the comedy portion of this, and you can... Have, you, have anyone ever done that chair to podcast? When Marin did my podcast, we were going to do it as a dual release, but then it, I, it was not. Yeah, it's probably not a good idea. It wasn't uh, like that. You made it weird. I did the live version. That was fun. Yeah, listen to Todd's episode with Judd Apatow. Yeah, Todd just listen great. to that one, and then if you want to listen to others, go ahead. The one-on-ones, uh, I, I'm proud that I have a podcast where it's a resource where if you want to know what like John Hamm thinks about the afterlife, you can listen to the last uh-huh. 30 minutes of did John he- Hamm. Anybody that's done it, you know, like Weird Al, Judd Apatow did a one-on-one. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the fun people that have done it. Why am I blanking? Everybody. Liz Gilbert just did it. You know Liz Gilbert? Eat, Pray, Love. Oh, okay. Deepak Chopra did it. Seriously? Yeah. So We've got some... Because I'm, I'm mystically inclined. I like to know what people You're think. You're my big get, so I feel, uh, <laughs> I feel weird. Like, like, I like to know what people think uh, is going on here. Well, Pete, this was good, right? Hour and 18 minutes. It's like, it's a, almost one of the longest ones ever. I'm honored. I have a tendency to do that. I hope I like. you That's all right. Enough. No, I would have booted. I would have booted you. No, I, I like, I want, you know, I don't like to cut people off and it was good. And I made my points. I won a little argument we had. Uh, maybe I'll do one of those online polls and people can say, who won the argument? That's pretty funny. I wonder if Podmass will cover this podcast. They never do. Sure they will. AV Club, no, they never did. Hey, AV Club, get on it. No, they did the first two, and then when I had shitty sound equipment and didn't know what I was doing. And then I... and then they were just wrote you off? Whatever. They're you know, good. The I good, got some listeners. The good people at Podmass will, will write this episode up. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Podmass. <laughs> you can't end by thanking Podmass. <laughs> thank you, Todd. And people at home, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Feral Audio. This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub. Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.